But one of the things that, that got, to, got me thinking was, and for today's topic, was how many of these friends that I had, I have, in the, in the beginning, we weren't actually, I didn't give a good first impression. And we weren't actually great friends from the get-go. Uh, one of the, the best men in, in my wedding, he, uh, he and I almost got in a fist fight. We wrestled at this party a little, this, you know, it's just high school, so it's not. But we, you know, we, we wrestled and then we were upset at each other. But I think back, I mean, this guy's the best man in my wedding. You know, he, I told him I was in California and he drove four hours with his two kids to see us, to have lunch. And there are times where it makes me think, like, would I have done that? You know, and would, would I see my friends like this way and <clears throat> really take that time to make that time for them? And granted, I haven't seen him for four or five years, but I, I think... It makes me think back, man, there's these friends that I have that we've gone through different adversities, different things that have, we initially did not get along, but now we still gather after 20 plus years. And it made me think, and it's relevant for, <clears throat> no, this is my friend actually, I just wanna show a quick picture. Um, you know, that was when I was 19, or 18 probably. Uh, we went to visit uh, New York for the first time together from college, he drove up from the military, and <clears throat> uh, we went to New York, and then this is 20 plus years later, you know, we were uh, hanging out outside my house. But I think about this, and you know, I realize more and more that <clears throat> adversity and challenges to friendships and relationships can oftentimes, hopefully on the positive note, deepen relationships, deepen friendships. And I think that's what I want to kind of bring up. I think it's connected to our passage today because I think oftentimes <clears throat> we don't talk about this as much, about how there's disagreement and tension in the church with people. And I think today it's something that I actually really appreciate in Scripture. It's in Acts 15, verses 35 to 41. I love how Scripture sometimes is so real and honest about things, how it doesn't skip by these things, but we see this disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. And this is actually something that we talked about in our community groups in July of 2022, right? But I know that not everyone here has, were there at that time as we were talking about one of our values at, at our church of extending grace to each other and to ourselves. So I wanna go back and kinda of talk about this because the older I get, the more I realize how important this topic is that there are conflicts and disagreements that you and I will encounter. And oftentimes when I was younger, I just thought, oh, let's just, I'm just gonna avoid it. Or can't we all just get along? But I think as I get older, we realize that there are hurts that, that come by. And sometimes it's like paper cuts, you know? They're not really big deal, but then the more you get, you feel more and more of these, and you're just like, oh man, they bother me, right? But we realize this, that there are, conflicts and disagreements that we all have to go through. I think this is one thing that we can look at in scripture today and actually see what happened a little bit and what we could glean from it. And perhaps that can encourage us as we go through in our lives of asking questions of how we can deepen our relationships with one another. You know, I think last week, Pastor Larry, he spoke about the theological diversity in the early church and how they were different views and how people got along and, you know, how there was conflicts at times. 
And I think, you know, they were figuring out whether or not a circumcision and food sacrifices to sacrifice to idols could be eaten. And, and we're going to start off right after that, right? We're going to start off that they sent um, Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, and they sent them to bring up these issues of circumcision and food. And when they come back, we're going to start from there and kind of look at this. They, they talk about <clears throat> this, how it's okay. And I won't go into it because I think Pastor Larry spoke about this. But it ends with how the people were, after the, le- the council gives the letter back, how they were encouraged, they were blessed, and they were strengthened. Right, and this is how it continues on in Acts 15. Right, as the letter comes back, it says here in verse 35, But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. You know, so after much of this disagreement in terms of theology and having questions about it, they come back, they have answers that they feel comfortable with. And Paul and Barnabas, they remain in the, in the church of Antioch. They preach, they teach others. And they preached the word of the Lord. You know, and it says that people prior to this verse were encouraged, they were strengthened, they were blessed. And this is where we start looking at today's passage and kind of <clears throat> the conflict and disagreement. It's in verse 36 to 41. It says this, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Right, we see here that there's a conflict, right? There's a conflict and there's a disagreement. One group, one Barnabas wants, wants to take Mark and Paul doesn't think it's a good idea. And in the end, they decide to split and go different ways, right? But just to give a, <clears throat> the first point for us and just a thought and just, I want it to kind of marinate in our minds is a question of what do you think about conflicts and disagreements in your life? And I think what I want to bring out today is this idea that we should expect tensions and disagreements. I think oftentimes we get surprised. I'm surprised by it. I'm like, oh, what just happened here? What, 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 what is happening? What are we going through? Why am I going through this? Why is this happening? But, it, you know, I think what we see here, and I love the honesty of the scripture, is that they show disagreements and tension in the, in, with godly people, followers of Christ, mature that disagreed with certain things. And likewise, I think that should be something that could be <clears throat> encouragement for us and to expect it, to not be surprised by it. It actually starts in this short innocuous verse, right, in Acts 13, right? It's that Paul, he <clears throat> and his companions, they set sail, verse 13, right? In, <clears throat> and they, they set sail, and it's just a one short sentence that this tension really builds off of. Right? John, this John Mark, left them and went back to Jerusalem. When you read it in, verse, in chapter 13, you wouldn't think of much. You would think, oh, well, John Mark just left them. Right? But there is something that perhaps was personally insulting to Paul, whatever he went through, that he did not think it would be a good idea. Right? This is why in Acts 15, when Barnabas 
wants to, wanted to take John, Paul didn't think it was wise, right? He said, hey, look at this guy's track record. He deserted us, right? He should not necessarily continue to be with us. On many, many levels, you know, perhaps it's not a big deal. Do you know? It's that <clears throat> they have two different opinions, right? Barnabas, is a, he's called the son of encourager. That's his nickname, his name, what it names means. And for him, he wants to take John Mark. He's like, hey, I want to give him a second chance. You know, perhaps he's, you know, I know he is his cousin, and perhaps there's family, family things, but Barnabas has given chances to Paul too, right? And for him, he's like, I want to take John. And Paul's like, no, I don't want to. I don't think it's wise. I think it's, <clears throat> you know, look at what he's done. The mission is really important. We can't have a competing front or something uh, <clears throat> that divides us. And it, it was such a sharp disagreement, it says here, that they parted companies. They parted, they separated, they went different ways. And you have to realize this, kind of the, the history a little bit behind Paul and Barnabas. It's not something that's just, oh, they're acquaintances and they decide, okay, I'm just going to go left and you go right. These were <clears throat> friends, they were brothers, they served together, and perhaps they had really similar theologies. You know, if you look at just even this chapter earlier, right, they were sent to Jerusalem to represent the church of Antioch, to bring up the question, right, they were appointed together jointly. Usually you send someone to these two people, they're good friends, send them, they're godly men, right, along with some other believers to go to Jerusalem and to see the apostles and elders. So they were, they were together, they brought theological questions to Jerusalem. They were in agreement in many things, right? Even this, it says, as they were sent back to the church of Antioch in verses 25, 26, it says in chapter 15, so we all agree to choose some men and send them with you. This is out with the letter. Dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right, people, these two men, they have risked their lives serving following God. They were friends. They were partners, right? They were called in <clears throat> together, right? In Acts 13, they were called by God. In Acts 13, verses 2 and 3, it says the Holy Spirit, right? Where they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. It gives you a little background that these two men, they were good friends. They, they saw each other. They served together for a while. They went on different trips together, missions trip, and they had a disagreement. And not only that, you have to realize that as Barnabas, he's vouching for John. Perhaps this is behind his arguments and what he's talking to Paul about, right? He's reminding him of this, Acts 9, verses 26 to 28, who just, what he has done for Paul, who he is, right? When, when Saul, when Paul <clears throat> had encountered with God, when he was transformed, he went to Jerusalem. Verse 26, this is Paul. He went to Jerusalem. He tried, Paul tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Why? Because he was persecuted. He has persecuted. He was there when, he, when <clears throat> Stephen was killed. He was dragging Christians from their houses. And these disciples, they were afraid of him not believing that he was really a disciple. And it was Barnabas that took him 
and brought him to, to the apostles. Right? He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved free, about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Now it's, it's amazing that you see Barnabas kind of step out and say, hey, this is Paul. He's, <clears throat> or at that time, Saul. You know, he's encountered the Lord. His life has changed. He is not here to try to have a secret police to try to find out who are the Christians. You don't have to be afraid. He stands out. He stands up for him. And he gives, gives his name, his credibility as one of the leaders of the church to say, hey, don't worry about this guy. And it allows Saul to speak freely, to move around Jerusalem, to speak boldly. Right? And this is the man that, you know, perhaps when they were talking and discussing that he wants John Mark, that I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it was brought up. I don't know whatever happened. It was no, nothing's recorded. But I would imagine that at least Paul is like thinking in the back of, head, of his head, that man, Barnabas did this for me, right? He was there for me. He stood up for me. He gave me a chance when people were afraid. And yet, for Paul, he was in such sharp disagreement, opinionated person that said, no, I don't want John Mark. And this <clears throat> kind of continues in why they have the sharp disagreement, and then they, hence, they go separate ways. Right? I think this shows, you know, that, again, that godly, mature followers of Christ, you know, perhaps they, there's not, not even a right or a wrong specific of drawing this line, line of saying Paul was right or bon There probably wasn't. But they had disagreeing opinions about what they should do. They agreed about the mission, but they were in disagreement of who to bring. And in this way that they had this disagreement and they parted ways. I think as we think about this in our own lives, I, I realize that perhaps it's not so surprising that we also encounter these kind of situations in our lives where we have disagreements with one another, with those who we love, our families, potentially our significant other. You know, as, as I <clears throat> spoke to my grandma this time around, you know, it was the first time where, where she didn't say to me, oh, man, you could have done something else. You know, I think as, as she's, I don't know what she was thinking, but this was the first time that I remember that she was like, oh, wait, you're, it's great that you're in, working at the church. And I realized that these are areas that we can all disagree in terms of getting into conflict and where it rubs us the wrong way. And I have. I have been you know, feeling hurt with just saying, when they said, oh, you could have done something else. Or, you know, your, your parents sacrificed all this for your college degree so that you do this. But there are many reasons why we get into disagreements. One of which could be career choices, one of which is relationships and friendships, right? How to uh, spend our finances, where to spend time, where to even go. You know, as it's a joke in our community group that, you know, to be asked to go <clears throat> in a friend's group to go on vacation together because it's hard to spend 24 hours in a day together and traveling when we have different opinions about what, what's important, what we want to see. But all this could then become not just topical, 
issues, but then taken personally. And I think in that way, then we, when it's taken personally, when it's taken in certain ways, there are hurts that are there. And I realize more and more that this is something that perhaps we should expect and not be surprised about in our church. Now, I love uh, last week, um, Larry shared this verse or this uh, quote from D.A. Carson. And I was like, oh, this is, you know, really good. As I've been thinking about a book that I want to read. You know, he says this, and this is just what he shared last week. You know, it's, it's, by, it's in his book, Love in Hard Places. I googled it on page 61. It says, ideally, however, the church itself is not made of natural friends. It is made up of natural enemies. Is that, I mean, is this what we think about in general, right? That, that we are not so similar. We sh- sometimes are going to rub each other in, in different ways, in ways that we may not like. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income level, common politics, common nationality, common accents, a common job, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together because they have all been loved by Jesus himself. They are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. Is that, <clears throat> this, is that what we think about in our conflict, in our disagreement? That we are bound together because Jesus loves your brother and sister sitting right next to you. You know, I think <clears throat> the older and older I get, the more and more I see how this is just so natural. You know, we, I myself could naturally gravitate towards people that are the same as myself, that I would have less disagreements with. But to go against the grain to a certain degree, to, to see the way that Jesus sees and to love in that way, I think this is something that we could be encouraged by Barnabas, right? That he saw the potential and wanted to give the second chance to Mark. And I could understand for Paul at the same time, too, that he did not want to compromise the mission, did not want to compromise and divide what they were trying to do. But this is something more and more that brings up how do we address conflict and disagreement? Because I think sometimes the easiest way for us is just not to talk about it or not to even, to avoid that other person, right? If it's acquaintance, you're just thinking, oh, well, it's just someone I barely know. I don't have to talk to them anymore. You know, there's a bad experience. Let's just, it's much easier just to kind of, you, you're in this sphere, I'm in that sphere. Let's just keep on going. But I, I think what, <clears throat> what we see here later on is that somehow things could work together. Somehow things are worked out. That we are called to forgive each other. We are called to love one another. And that doesn't mean that, that all issues can be addressed this way. I, don't, I want to make that clear. It doesn't mean that. And I want, <clears throat> this is not an issue that they're arguing about, about false teaching, right? Paul is very clear about that. You see that in many letters afterwards, condemning false teaching, being very specific of things that would lead people astray in their walks with God. He brings it up over and over. It's not about immorality, right? It's not about sexual immorality. It's not about anything that's immoral that specifically that he again addresses in other letters he doesn't condemn it you see that the potentially there's just two interpretations 
in this disagreement and ways that they wanted to address it. And they <clears throat> had a sharp disagreement and they left. Right? And in this way today, I, I want to kind of make the second point is what do we do then? Right? There is this, we should expect this, but what do we do then? And I think there's some certain things that we could glean from this and, and <clears throat> that is not a formula, it's not the, the only way to do things, it's not even uh, <clears throat> comprehensive. But I, I do think that there are certain things that stood out to me as I was thinking about this conflict and this disagreement. And what I want to encourage us to is that for some reason what we see is that <clears throat> we don't see the specific church taking one side or another. We actually even, when you look at the way that Luke is presenting this information, he's not stating like, you know, Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement, but Paul was right and Barnabas was wrong. Or likewise, you know, Paul didn't really give any grace. Barnabas, Luke just present, writes it in these six verses that they have a disagreement and they split, right? Even when in Acts 13, he just writes that John Mark leaves and goes to Jerusalem. He doesn't go straight into it. He doesn't go and, and, and kind of goes, oh, all this happens and this is what. You see, for Luke, the way that he's, he's just mentioning, hey, there is disagreement, there's conflict. But I think that's perhaps something that we could take away, that there's, for those around <clears throat> that, that notice that, that sometimes it's important for us not to take one side or the other. Right, that it, you can see the way that the facts for what they are, and there is disagreement. There's, it's, life is messy. But what, what we also don't see, or at least we don't see in Scripture here, and, and even the early church history, is that the Antioch church doesn't automatically split. Right? <clears throat> they don't just like say, I follow Paul, and another person go, I follow Barnabas, and they just kind of split off and do their own thing. Rather, rather you see them splitting, and even <clears throat> what's interesting to me is that you get indirect hints about how Paul feels about Barnabas, right? This is in Corinthians later on. He writes <clears throat> to the Corinthian church, and, he, and as he's defending who he is, what he's been doing, he says this in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 1 through 6. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen <clears throat> Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? And I'm skipping a, a couple verses. And he says, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment of me. Don't we have a right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Peter? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Right? You see that he, he really presents himself and Barnabas as fellow brothers believers. He doesn't go, you know, he doesn't just say himself. He actually brings up someone else. He says, hey, look at Barnabas. He, in this way, I, I read it indirectly that he's not against Barnabas necessarily. He even presents himself as someone that is his fellow co-worker, his brother, that has done things and says, can we not also do X, Y, Z, right? So in one way, he doesn't, <clears throat> it doesn't split in ways that he is in disagreement and actually then d develops this personal dislike for Barnabas. They're in sharp disagreement. They decide to go and part ways. 
And I think this is, is, is kind of seen, is that he doesn't mention it in details in other letters, right? It's, again, it's indirect. He doesn't, there's parts where he, he's very specific. He brings it up. He talks about things. But here in this disagreement, in this conflict, even though it's sharp, he doesn't mention it. And I would think that that means to me that they somehow resolve, somehow work through it. And I want to say what another thing that we could take away from this is that potentially distance and time can help. Having some distance and some time can help. But ultimately, they're not the real solution. It's not that because there's distance and time, that's going to be the way that solves it. Ultimately, it's a heart posture, a heart transformation. But sometimes things are so raw. The disagreement, the conflict, they're so raw that it could feel like this. You know, have you ever had a scab, right, where it's almost healed and you see it? And then there are times where, you know, <clears throat> you see the yellow crust around it, or maybe I'm describing it too much, and some corners fall off and you're just like, oh, should I peel it? Should I not? You know, but if you do it too early, then you see that actually it hasn't healed yet, right? But if you do it, you know, later on, if you do it, it falls off easily, right? But you see it and you're just, I don't know, maybe I have an instinct to, man, I want to pick at this. Right? But giving it enough distance and time, enough time, it heals and you know that, okay, it's, it's ready to come off. Right? But I realized more and more that it's not just the time that heals. It's not really time. Your blood vessels, you know, they, they clot, they, they produce, you have new skin that comes up. It's not the time itself. The healing process is something else. Right? The time is one of the, one of the things, the tools spent to actually have the healing. Right? But I think ultimately the time and distance, they're not the, the reason why things are restored or redeemed. Ultimately, you know, I believe it's a, it's a transformation of the heart. That there has to be some change in the heart of working together, of wanting to see, wanting to see, wanting to work through things. And I think we see that later on in, in Scripture. We see how they reconcile together. But perhaps in the things that we're going through, and this is what I want to be clear, is that just because we have a disagreement or conflict doesn't mean that it has to be solved right now. Sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it can take a while. But I think the heart of the matter is still brought before God individually, collectively, where God transforms and brings it up, transforms our heart, reveals what we're thinking about. Why is this so important that I'm getting in a conflict? What are we arguing about? What is this disagreement about? You know, I think um, <clears throat> commentators, they, <clears throat> they mention this. And sometimes I think it's just rational. They just mention it. I'm not a huge fan of it, but at the same time, I get the, um, the point that they're trying to make. Right? That God is sovereign. And even when there's disagreements with human our human sin breaks into things, that God is still in control. And this way they rationalize this and say this, and I don't know if it's, I, I would agree necessarily with the interpretation, but I get it, is that now there's two teams formed. Not only one team that's formed for missions, now they split into two teams and they could be multiplied and continued. And I think that sometimes that's rationalizing it too much, but I do think there's truth. To, to that, that nothing will thwart God's plan. 
that God is really in control and he can redeem any brokenness, messiness, relationship, mistake. And it may not look the way that we want it to be. It may not ever happen in this particular life. But we know from the promises of Scripture that it will happen. And I think what, I, what we can take away from this, maybe not just how they formed the two teams and multiplied, is this idea of being adaptable. They followed God. They decided, hey, we could form two teams and go separate ways and still follow what God is leading. That God is big enough and God can. <clears throat> and in this way, I feel like it allows it to not just be so only personal and attacking, but rather recognizing that God is in control. That yes, it's true that Christians could be hypocrites, could have problems, could, is messy, but it isn't that as the reason of why, hey, I don't want to believe in God anymore, right? It isn't just looking at, you know, because I think when we think about conflict, when we experience it, when we hear about it, when we see it, there are times where we can just encounter that. And like I said, it's not moral issues, it's not false teaching, right? But it is when they see that, and it's not that they go, I'm going to leave all that I'm doing, I'm going to stop doing what God is leading in my life, but rather they decide we're going to go separate ways and continue following the way that God has called us, have, you know, <clears throat> have called in their lives to be missionaries, that they're going to continue doing this, and that they could strive to serve the Lord in spite of the personality classes, clashes. And, and in the end, what we see is that Paul goes one way, and Barnabas goes another, right? So <clears throat> they're adaptable. They decide, and they, they decide to go and follow God, even though it doesn't look exactly of <clears throat> what they initially thought they would. But what I love about this, and again, we have to read between all the lines, but not all <clears throat> completely, but we see that there's reconciliation, Right? In Colossians 4, I think this is this next two verses really bring to light years later that somehow the conflict, the disagreement has been worked out. In Colossians 4, verse 10, right, Paul writes to Colossians and he ends with this. He says, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, this is the first time you know that John Mark is a cousin of Barnabas, but that he says, you have received instructions about him and if he comes to you, welcome him. You see, from the place where he's saying, I cannot take this guy, he deserted me, there should be no, <clears throat> you know, I don't want to give him another chance for this mission, to writing to the Colossians and saying, hey, welcome him, right? And probably more specific and probably, <clears throat> you know, more clear is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, right? As he's writing to Timothy, he says, only Luke is with me, but he says, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. He is helpful to me in my ministry. We don't know how they worked out this. We don't know what they talked about, what was, you know, said. But we could read indirectly that at the end, Paul is writing to Timothy. He's writing and he's saying, hey, bring Mark. He's helpful to me. 
right, in 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 uh, First Peter five. I don't. I didn't put the verse. It says that Mark is regarded as a son to Peter. So you see that at the end of the, this, this longer picture, that actually Mark is encouraged by Barnabas, somehow grows in maturity, changes in ways, is trustworthy in, in ways that Paul sees him. Paul sees how he's useful, how he's been helpful, and <clears throat> even stands up for him and says, welcome this man. Right? And in this way, we see that there must have been some kind of reconciliation. That Paul's heart has changed. John Mark has changed. I don't know, it never says anything about Barnabas, but from his name, a son of encourager, and who he has been, I would think he is probably happy to see all this. And <clears throat> in this way, you know, I think one of the questions that we talked about in our community groups as we're discussing this passage as a way to kind of see this value of our church as extending grace towards each other and ourselves, is that we see that this grace changes us. It changed Paul. It changed John Mark. It changed their relationship with each other. And that in conflicts and disagreements, that when we see that, that it's not something that should just be something we avoid, but rather perhaps we can see that God is doing something to deepen our relationship, deepen our understanding of one another. That it's okay to disagree but still be in faith with one another. That it's not so important sometimes about being right, but it's important to be together, right? To work towards what God has called us. Work towards how God has redeemed and restored us to him and to one another. I think I'll end with this, and I think this is interesting. Is that Jesus, as, as he is praying for people and praying for his disciples and then praying for future believers, I think it's interesting that he prays this prayer for people that will come to know him, right? Through his disciples. In John 17, verses 20 to 23, it says, My prayer is not for them alone, his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I think it's interesting for me when I think about this and I'm challenged that he's not just asking God to protect them from the, the, <clears throat> all the things that they're going to go through, the difficulties, or give them enduring strength and faith to walk through all this. But he prays that, you know, that they are in him, which that means a lot, having a relationship with God, understanding to desire to be, to walk, and to live like Jesus, but also with each other, so that they may be brought to complete unity. That he is praying for this, <clears throat> the people to be united with one another. And I think this is more and more a challenge in, in, a, in our world today, 
as we see more polarization of whether it's our opinions, our beliefs, our politics, our values. But what we see and what I want to encourage us today is that, yes, godly people can and will disagree. We see that two really good friends and partners in ministry disagreed and chose separate and split and made separate decisions. But we also see at the very end is that somehow there was reconciliation. Somehow they worked through together. And that sometimes it takes time. It could take years. I don't know how long it took. But what I do know is that their hearts were changed. And perhaps instead of asking God to change the situation and to work on all this reconciliation, rather ask God, what, can, what are you changing in my heart? What are you working on for me to love my brother and sister in ways that perhaps we can't see this reconciliation, we can't see this unity that will display to the world that God has loved them as you have loved me, that God loves and that God cares. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, I know that it's easy Lord, to talk about this, but it is hard. It is hard to live through this. It is hard to go through uh, the pain, the anguish, the anxiety, Lord, of conflict, of disagreement. Lord, the more something matters to us, the more it seems it's harder to just let things go. And so, Lord, I pray I pray that you <clears throat> give us insight, Lord, you give us wisdom, discernment. But more than that, you transform our hearts, that we would love one another the way that you loved us, that we would see our brother and sister the way that you see them. And Lord, like I said, it, it is still something that you are working in me. It con continues to work in me. And so, Lord, as we talk about this, I pray that, Lord, that you would give us opportunities to see how you are working, to see how you are in the midst of pain, of conflict, of anguish, of anxiety, and that you will not forsake, that you will not leave us to our own despise, but rather that you are there, that your grace is sufficient. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, I pray that, that you would help us. Help us as a church to practice this value that we talked about, extending grace to each other and to ourselves, Lord. That we would... <clears throat> love one another, that we would extend grace. We may not agree with one another, but we would extend grace and still be in faith with one another. May people recognize that. May people see and be encouraged and be drawn to you, Lord. Lord, I pray for <clears throat> whatever conflicts that are happening in our lives with our family, our friends, 
back home, people here. That, Lord, that you would work in our hearts. Transform us first, Lord. And we lay it at your feet, knowing that nothing, nothing, Lord, can separate us from you. Nothing cannot be redeemed by you, Lord, and restored. And we look to you, Lord. We look to you for your hands and your power and your love in all that we do. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.